Welcome to the Christian Life Podcast. At Christian Life, we're all about making disciples of all generations. If you'd like to connect with us and find out more about what's going on here, you can find us on Facebook at CLC Gridley, and of course on the web at clcgridley.org. We hope that God speaks to you through the message you're about to hear. Let's dive in together. Are you guys ready for a message that's been two weeks in the making? Last Sunday, we had, uh, I had this message prepared. I was excited to share it with you, and then God had other plans, right? He, he stopped our message, and we ended up spending some good time praying. But uh, I've got a statement that I want to make to you. I want to I share this incredible, life-changing principle that you've probably heard about 50,000 times, and I want you to get excited about it, just as excited today as you did the first time you heard this. Can you do that with me? Did you know that God specializes in using ordinary people? Did you know that God specializes in using ordinary people? For some reason, we have this misconception that there are only so many, there are only certain people that God really wants to use. You know, it's like, well, God can use that person because they memorize scripture like they wrote it themselves. Okay? Or, or God can use this person because the only testimony they've got is God saved them from an addiction to Skittles and M&Ms. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people that have never made any mistakes. And like They always made the right decisions. God doesn't use those people. I mean, He does. If that's you, if you're the, you know, the, the goody two-shoes in, in school and everything else, God can use you too. But, but God specializes in using ordinary people. He specializes in using ordinary people. Are you excited yet? Because God uses ordinary people, guess what that means? He wants to use us, right? I mean, let's be real. I'm looking around, and a couple of you guys are pretty special, but I would say none of us have, have ever you know, not made a mistake. We are all ordinary people, and God's got a plan. He desires to use us. He desires to use us. You have been given giftings. You've been given talents. God has spoke purpose over your life. Did you know that? God has spoke purpose over your life. You've been bought for a price. Your sin has been washed away by the love and blood of Jesus. We have been bought at a price, and we're ordinary people. If Jesus used, see, growing up, I know I've shared a lot of my stories with you guys. You guys know how much time I spent when I was younger fishing. Okay, so this part always got me excited, but this morning we're using it too. If God could use ordinary people like the disciples, if God can use some fishermen to change the world, what do you think he can do with us? I mean, I'm not, you know, knocking my own people, the, the fishermen, but, but let's be real. There is no getting around the fact that fishermen, we are ordinary people. If God can do that with them, what does he desire to use us to do? You can't even imagine it. All of this comes with a warning, though. What's the warning, right? The, everybody loves warning labels, right? Being used by God will always cost us something. Right? You've experienced this in your life. Being used by God always costs something. It costs maybe not being able to do something that everybody else is doing and maybe we want. There's always a cost there. It's always a cost. 
Maybe you'll go through times in your life where you'll feel alone. Been there. Maybe you'll go through times in your life where, where you face discouragement, right? I know you've been there. Where you go through and you just feel off. Struggle with doubt. Your heart's broken because of something that happened or, or someone that, you know, that hurt you or said something or did something. All of these things are part of the deal. Being used by God, opening ourselves up, laying ourselves down for God to use our life, it puts us in a spot where it's going to cost us something. Maybe it's criticism. None of us have ever been criticized for anything. People misunderstanding us. There's all kinds of different ways that that cost could look in our lives. And trust me, it's not going to just be one. There will be multiple. But being used by God always costs us something. But here's the deal. Why do we keep going? Okay, Because if it stopped there, this would get really depressing really, really quick. But it doesn't end there. Why? Because the, what we get in exchange for being used by God, right? the benefit, what comes next, the byproduct of it is worth it. Isn't it? You know, to, to draw back on, a, on an illustration we used several weeks ago, the fruit of that effort, the fruit of giving up ourselves, of laying ourselves down and being used by God, very rarely comes anywhere. I, I mean, it so overshadows the cost, it's not even funny. That neighbor that we've been praying for for years coming to, coming to know Jesus. How many know that overshadows all those awkward conversations where you're like, hey, you want to come to church with me? Are you nuts? Football game's on, right? And seeing him come to know Jesus overshadows those awkward conversations. All of those drives Sunday morning, taking your kids, taking your grandkids to church. Seeing the gospel, seeing the good news, right? Clicking in their, in their eyes. You can just kind of, it's almost like you can visibly see it happening right there in front of you. Seeing that click and it becoming real in their life makes all of those getting up early and picking them up and making sure they're dressed and like their clothes are on like the correct way, okay? If all kids are like our youngest son, that in itself is an accomplishment. Moms, when you make it out of the house and the clothes are facing the correct direction, that is a win. Gunner's clothes are on backwards all the time. If you ever, if that shirt looks small on him, it's not small. It's just backwards. It's digging into his neck. That kid is crazy. Serving Jesus, being used by Him, it comes with a cost. But that cost rarely compares to the fulfillment of seeing what God is desiring to do through us. The cost is worth it. In this series, we're going to study about an ordinary person like you and I that was used by God to accomplish an incredible work. Okay, it's, that's where we get the title of our series from, The Good Work. God used this ordinary man to do an incredible thing, a good work. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd encourage you to open up to the book of Nehemiah. It's an incredible story of what God can do with a willing, of what God can and desires to do with a passionate, of what God desires to do with a faith-filled, ordinary person. 
If you were to begin reading in Nehemiah 1, you learn how this story begins, and I'll give you a little bit of the history. There's some discussion around this, but we believe that around 586 B.C., Jerusalem is destroyed by Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, say that name five times fast. But King Nebuchadnezzar and his army, they conquered Jerusalem. The temple that, that King David had stored up supplies that his son King Solomon, had, God had used him and the wisdom that, that God had given him to build this incredible temple is destroyed. The walls and the fortifications for the city are knocked down and burned. Many of the people are carried off to serve as slaves, right? I mean, you're talking like old school conquering the city is destroyed. We know that, that there had been other attempts over the years to bring God's people back to Jerusalem. There had been two other attempts that we know of, led by uh, God led different, two different uh, people to lead uh, the people back to the city. The, uh, we know that the temple had been rebuilt, but to this point, nothing had really been done to secure the city. Cities going on in chaos, right? There's no, there's no leadership. In Nehemiah 1, we're introduced to a man. You guessed it. His name is Nehemiah. The book's named after him. We do know this. We, we know that he's a Jew. We know that he's lived his entire life in another land. He has never lived in his homeland. Never. His entire life has been spent serving. Nehemiah in... Uh, this story takes, uh, takes place roughly in 445 B.C., so we're talking 140 years have gone by from the time of Jerusalem falling to right now in this story. 140 years has gone by. Nehemiah, as we've already established, he's an ordinary guy. Even by biblical standards, he's an ordinary guy. He's not a priest. He's not a pastor. He's not a prophet. He's not, you know, some crazy warrior. He's just an ordinary guy. He's a servant. He's been carried away. Him and his relatives were spoils of war. And now he finds himself serving the king as a cupbearer. He's the king's cupbearer. Now his responsibility was to serve the king his wine. Okay, but there's more into his responsibility because if someone wanted to kill the king, the best way of doing it without getting caught would be to what? Poison his food or poison his drink. Nehemiah's job as the cupbearer is not just to make sure that, that the king's cup is always full, but it's to taste test everything before he gives it to the king. His, his job, his duty was if someone was trying to kill the king, he'd take the bullet first. He serves a very important, very trusted role, but he's still just an ordinary guy. He's just an ordinary guy doing what he's been told. I mean, the king's life literally stands in his hands. The crazy thing is, for everything that we eventually find out about Nehemiah up to this point, we know next to nothing. Everything that we've just talked about is pretty much all of the information we have on Nehemiah up to this point. We know that he was a Jew. We know that he was the king's cupbearer. We know that he had never seen his homeland before. That's it. 
There's no information telling us that even before this point that he was an overly godly man. We, don't, we know next to nothing about Nehemiah, except for what we can infer from, from how he responds. But he was just a normal guy. In this chapter, Nehemiah, in Nehemiah 1, he has a conversation with some men that, that he's calling his brothers, and he asks them, what's the latest news from their homeland? And we see in Nehemiah 1 verse 3, it says, They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. It's been 140 years since the city was destroyed. And very little has changed. We talked about it earlier, through the attempts of, of two other leaders that, that God had used. People are slowly starting to trickle back into the, into the region, but still, there's no leadership, there's no organization, there's no security at all. This place is chaos. You know, I, I think sometimes we struggle to understand why, you know, the Bible makes it, as you read through it, it, it makes it a pretty important uh, point of emphasis to, to make sure that we realize that the walls of the city, that the gates are not working. They're, they're non-existent. They're broken down. The gates are burned. In those days, to be from a city that had no fortifications was not good. It was not honorable to be from a city that could not protect itself. The only thing worse than being from a city that could not protect itself was to be from a city that had been conquered and had no fortifications. Because when those gates are burned down and the walls aren't together, that says something about those people. Nehemiah comes face to face with our theme for the series. A good work. And he begins to show you and I how we can respond. Not the only way, but it shows us a good way. He models a good way to respond when a need the good work is put in front of us. So how do you begin the good work? Well, if you look at Nehemiah, the first thing he, he did is he feels it. How do you begin the good work? You feel it. Any good work, is, it's going to draw out emotion. It's going to draw out hurt. It's going to draw out passion. It's going to draw maybe a little frustration, right? There are some things that rile us up. We see them and it just, it lights a fire in us. We just get frustrated. The good work draws this stuff out. I mean, I'm not much for emotions. I've said this before. My wife will vouch for this. You know, I've joked that, uh, that I'm a normal guy by every account. I've got two emotions. I've got happy and mad, right? Any other guys identify with that? There's happy and there's mad. Yesterday when my Longhorns lost to the Sooners, Nedra, there's your props. I was not happy, okay? I was mad. Why? Because my Longhorns lost to our rival that we don't like. But I've got two emotions. But there have been times in my life that I've been a part of something, that God has led me to a spot at a certain time for a reason. And I can't help but feel it. Right? If I were to tell you about some of those moments, I'd, I'd take you to, you know, to when we had conversations with, with some students 
that we worked with. And there was this one particular group of, of students. I worked at the school, and we were doing this big outreach and, uh, you know, we were having free pizza, and that point, I guess, is important because later on we found out that's the only reason any of the kids came was because they wanted the free pizza. And uh, at this outreach, as we're hanging out with these kids, and we've got all kinds of crazy stuff going, Veronica starts talking to this group of girls. And at first, you know, they think she's one of them, right, because she's vertically challenged. She's not short. She's vertically challenged, okay? So she's their height or smaller, and she's talking with them, and and they think she's a student, and then she mentions that she's married to me. And they're like, you're married to the yard duty? Like, they're talking like I, like, committed some, like, I broke a law, and I need to go to jail, okay? This is where I need to remind you, my wife is older than I am, okay? I had, sorry, I had to. She rolled her eyes at me. I deserved every bit of it, but man, it felt good. She's older than me, and they're like looking at me like I'm doing something wrong, and through all of this, we, we get to know this group of girls, and we get to, to hear their story. One of them lived her life in fear that when her dad got out of jail, that he was going to find her. They moved around every couple of years to try and stay in the shadows so he couldn't keep track of them. Another one of them looks at us and doesn't understand why we want her to be there, doesn't understand why we're going out of our way to, to talk to her, to, to believe in her, to encourage her, to love on her. And she's, why are you doing this for me? I don't even believe in what you're talking about. I don't even think there is a God. But she continued to come. Why? Because when she was with us, she felt loved and accepted for the first time. Being in moments like that, they break your heart. And it's left an impact on our lives. It's left an impact on our heart. And and it's changed the way that we view life, but it's also changed the way that we do ministry. Because of those interactions, God has shaped how we view the church. That's why, we're, that's why our vision here at Christian Life is to see all generations become disciples of Jesus. Why? Because we've got to reach them. We've got to reach them. That's why you know, we want to see this church seeing lives change forever. We want to see the church growing. We want to see all these things. We don't want to grow from people that are coming from a different church. We want to see people coming in and and growing in their relationship with Jesus and turning their lives around here because it's needed. This is why we're so passionate about, about making a church that unchurched people want to come to because they need to hear about Jesus. This is why we're so passionate about this. I'm not an emotional guy, but hearing a young girl tell me, I'm scared to death that my dad's going to find me when he gets out of jail. That riles something up inside of me. The first thing we do is we feel it. My question for you is what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? When you hear about something, what is it that, that triggers something inside of you that you just can't sit still? You've got to do something about it. Is it homelessness? What is it that breaks your heart? Is it kids in the foster care system? 
I mean, they're all amazing causes, but what is it that breaks your heart? Is it victims of abuse? Is it human trafficking? I mean, there's all kinds of hot topic issues that are going on right now. What is it? Is it our church? You just want to see it go. What breaks your heart? You know how Nehemiah responded to bad news. He felt it. Nehemiah 1.4 says, When I heard this, I sat down and wept. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. And his, resp- his response didn't stop there, though. It led the, to the next step, right? Beginning the good work, you feel it, but then you've got to pray for it. Yeah. You feel it, then you've got to pray for it. After you feel it, it's time to start getting to work, and it's time to pray for it. If we continue reading Nehemiah 1.4, it says, When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. I'm going to make a statement right now. I hope you remember. If it's worth feeling, it's worth praying for. If there's something that happens in your life, there's something that you see, and you know something's got to be done about it, if it's worth feeling, it's worth praying for. There's a whole lot of things that we notice that we don't pray for. That's wrong. We're wrong when we do that. If it's worth feeling, it's worth praying for. We need to be people that pray first. We notice these things. We know something's off. We feel it, and then we pray for it. This is usually the time, this part of the the getting things done. This is usually the stage where, where that negative voice, that negative attitude starts popping in. I'm just one person. What can I really do? How many of us, we've heard that thought, you know, come across our brain a, few, a time or two? Joyce, you're shaking your head. I know. I'm just one person. What can I really do? You know, we hear that saying, one person can change the world. But when we hear it, you get excited for a second and then, oh yeah, uh-huh. This is when that attitude starts, starts showing its face. And you know what we need to do right then? We've got to pray against that. We've been given a purpose. We can do something about it. You know, you're right. You by yourself, maybe you can't do anything about it. I, I, I've heard a, I listened to a pastor recently who said, you plus God equals everything you need. So you're right, you may not be able to, to do something that's going to turn the tide on whatever it is that breaks your heart, but guess what? You plus God, you can. Maybe you can't feed every homeless person in our community, but guess what? You plus God, that sounds like a good recipe to start something, doesn't it? Yeah. We can make a difference. We can be the start of what our community needs. As long as we're not trying to do it ourselves. Because you plus God is the recipe, not just you. We're limited, He's not. Listen to Nehemiah's prayer in uh, Nehemiah 1, 5-6. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 5-6, through he says this. He says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of unfailing love with those who love Him and obey His commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. And then you know what he does? He does something that we're not very good at. He goes on and he begins to confess his sins. 
He continues by doing this. And then the next thing he does is, is important. He remembers the promises that God has spoken to his people. You know what's equally important to confessing our mistakes, our sin? Is remembering what God has promised us. That what did God promise him? He said that if they turned back to God, he would gather them back. Do you remember God speaking these promises to his people? They're going to turn away from me, but when they look back to me, I will bring them back. This is promises that God spoke when he first began to speak that, uh, that Jerusalem was going to fall and the city would be destroyed. He said they're going to go through a time where they're dispersed, but when they turn back to me, I will gather my people. We've got to remember the promises that God has spoken to us. We've got to remember them, and we've got to not be afraid to remind God of the promises that He's spoken. There's nothing wrong with reminding God the promise He's spoken. But sometimes... The most important thing about reminding God of the promises He's spoken to us is when we're reminding God of those promises, what are we doing? We're reminding ourselves and making sure that our prayers align with God's will. God's not going to promise something that's not His will. So if we're reminding God of the promises that He's spoken over our life, we're making sure that, our, that what we're praying for aligns with what He's already spoken. A lot of times I think we get ourselves in trouble because we pray for all. I, I'm guilty too, okay? I've prayed for the million dollars and all those things. Okay, is that God's will? No. Well, maybe for some of you it is. I mean, give it a try. Pray it one time. See if it happens. But a lot of times our prayers, we, we pray these things and, and they don't align with God's will. I mean, it, it's not a fun thing to say, but we pray for healing. Maybe God's will is to not heal them. I don't like that answer, right? Can we be real for a minute? I don't like that answer. But we've got to pray in accordance with God's will. So sometimes one of the best things that we can do is to go over and remind God of those promises that he's spoken to us. I'd venture to guess that your good work is going to align with God's will. Why? Because whatever is inside of you that gets stirred when that happens, it's there for a reason. It's there for a reason. I know for us, seeing this church thriving in our community, making a difference and making disciples of all generations, this gets me fired up. Christian life being a church that, that people that have no experience in church at all come to and find Him, that gets me fired up. But it also aligns with what God has promised. He's going to bring people to Him, that the lost will be found, you need to know those promises that God's spoken over your life. You know, I shared this last week. I'd encourage you, get your Bible. And as you're reading through there, every time God makes a promise, highlight it. That's, that's what I do. If you were to flip through this Bible, any, anywhere you saw pink, you'd know it would be a promise from God. Whether it was to me or to His people, to anybody, any promise that God makes, I highlight in pink. Why? Because I want it to stand out and I'm not using pink for anything else. We need to know the promises that God's spoken over our lives. And I guarantee you, there's a whole lot more of them than you realize. We've got to feel it. Nehemiah, he's felt it. He's, he's felt the good work. He's literally, he sat and he cried. And then he prays. He says, he's, Nehemiah 1.11, he says this. He says, oh Lord, please hear my prayer. 
Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Now, the question I have for you is, why would Nehemiah pray this prayer? Why would he ask God to give him favor in the eyes of the king? Because he knew that feeling it and praying for it wasn't enough. He knew that there was going to come a day where he had to do something about it. So we, we feel it, we pray for it, and we do something about it. Feeling it's good, praying for it is vital, but eventually we've got to be people of action. Nehemiah did all these things, but, but he knew eventually his emotions and his prayer would move him to do something. Let's continue reading now in, in Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. It says this in uh, Nehemiah 2, 1 through 5. It says, Early the following spring, in the, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, this is verse 3, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. He asked for favor, right? He asked for favor in Nehemiah 1.11, and months go by, months go by before anything comes of it, and then he gets the he gets the chance there in Nehemiah 2. I mean, it shows that if you, want, if you have any doubt that he was an ordinary guy, when the king asked him a question, what does it say right there in verse 2? It says, I was terrified, but he still acted. Nehemiah had been praying for months. And that opportunity came. And he realized, he recognized the situation that God had put him in. He'd been praying for favor And he realized that this is a God situation, and it's time to step out. We've got a world full of people that are eager to talk about what should happen. But there are very few people that are willing to do anything about it. We've got to be different. We've got to feel it. We've got to pray about it, right? We've got to pray for it. And then we do something about it. There's nothing inactive about being a believer. There's nothing inactive about the gospel. It's an active command. Go and make disciples of all nations. We've got to begin the good work. Can I draw back to those moments where Veronica and I would sit and we talk about these conversations we've had that really touched us. Several months go, went by from that first time that I told you about encountering that group of students. And uh, we, it was 
at the end of a, one of our youth services, and um, we, we would turn music on, and we'd tell them, get where you're not going to be distracted, and we're going we're gonna to pray. And Veronica and I would go and we'd go and pray, and uh, we'd go in and speak into their lives, and God would lead us, and, and He would just do some incredible work. And, uh, and then we find out they had created a nickname for what we call altar calls, altar times. They would call it that crying thing. Why? Because they knew something was different. And when we did that, they felt God, but they didn't know it was God. But they couldn't help but crying. They had so little experience with the church. So little experience with God. They had never experienced Him before. And the the times that they did encounter Him, they identified the work that was going on in their life through an emotion that was happening. It didn't matter what we were talking about, what the day was going on. When we went into that time, they felt God's presence and they couldn't help but cry. Don't you want to see that happen? People coming in and they know so little about God, but they recognize that something is different. They recognize that there's something different here. There's love here. There's hope here. There's acceptance here. There's a family here. For the first time in my life, I feel like I belong. There's people that are waiting to hear about God, that are literally dying to hear what you and I know. We're talking this month about the good work, but the good work has another name too. It's the good news, right? Our prayer for you is that God would begin to reveal to you the purpose that He's given you. But I'll tell you right now, there's one purpose that you don't have to pray about because it's already been spoken. We've got a job to do. We talk about it often. But it's because we need to. It's that important. We have got to go and make disciples. That's a command that's been spoken over my life. It's been spoken over your life. It's been given to each one of us. We have got to go. We've got to remember what it was like before we met Jesus. Feel that. Remember what that felt like. And then pray that God would open up doors and then we've got to do something about it. As a church, you know that the, the season that we're in, we're taking a step of faith. We're taking a step of faith because we know that God honors that. We're being purposeful with, with inviting people and bringing people because we know that we have something that they need. This aligns perfectly with what we're talking about. We've got a good work to do. It's going to be hard. It's going to cost us something. Maybe it'll cost us time. It'll cost us our comfort. It's going to cost us. But it's important. We've got people out there that need to hear about Jesus. It's our job. It's our task. But it's not what we have to do. It's what we get to do. Because the same God that that changed my life, changed your life, desires to do the same thing for them. How cool is it that we get to be a part of it? 
We get it. We get to help connect the dots. It's amazing. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for our church. God, do a work in our lives. God, we want to be like Nehemiah. God, we want to be people. We want to be men and women, God, that that we see what's going on. God, that we feel it. It breaks our heart. God, break our heart for what breaks yours. God, we want to feel it. God, we're going to pray about it, but we're not going to stop there. We're going to do something about it. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us. God, speak to us. God, give us boldness, God. Help us, Lord. God, to be good stewards of the people, the opportunity, God, that you put in our path. God, we're ordinary people. God, and we're saying we want to be used. Direct us. God, unite us together as a body. God, unite us together as a church. God, each one of us, we want to have an impact in our, in our community. God, but we want our, our church to have an impact. And that only happens when we're united. God, bring us together for the purpose of seeing disciples of all generations being made here. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We trust that it's left you feeling loved, encouraged, and challenged to grow. If we can help you grow in your walk with Jesus, please connect with us on Facebook or on our website. We would ask that you subscribe and rate this podcast so that we can continue to stay up to date with you on what's happening here at Christian Life and so that others can hear. We'll see you next week on the Christian Life Podcast.